Welcome back to a brand new episode of LAOFCS Weekly. Today, we are going to be talking about Child's Play. We're going to be talking about Toy Story 4 and our favorite and least favorite Pixar films. So stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to LAOFCS Weekly. I, of course, am Scott Menzel. I have not been here for a few weeks, and it's been nice to kind of have a little bit of a break because you got to meet a lot of the other members of the organization. So I'm very happy to be back hosting my first episode in about a month and a half. Wow. So it's great to be back, and I'm very excited to be here because we're going to be talking about one of my personal favorite films of the year. But before we get into the discussion, we need to introduce the panel. And first and foremost, we have to start with Miss Debbie. Oh my God. Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens and also Behind the Lens Online. Thank you, Ryan. That's lovely. <laughs> I love our producer, Ryan, people. He's one of the best in the business. Um, Behind the Lens Online.net. You can find my movie reviews, interviews, and print and online in the US and abroad 24 7. Um, just look for them. And now every every few weeks, every once in a while, I pop up here on LAOFCS Weekly Critics Picks. Yes, you do. And we're lucky to have you. Well, we really are. And I'm lucky to be here. <laughs> With visual aids. Yes, as yes. always. <laughs> and Michael. Hi, uh, I'm Michael Lee. Yay! Yay! So, yeah, um, writer for Geeks of Doom and That's It LA. And you can find my stuff at I am Michael J. Lee. On Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. So, um... Now wait a minute. Where can wait. everyone find you? Actually, yeah, that's true. Come you on. Can, you we... don't want to find me. But well, if you true. do... You don't, but... Yeah. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the other Scott M or go over to WeLiveEntertainment.com. And you can find a couple interviews for this week. It's been a very busy week, surprisingly. Uh, we got to talk about Toy Story 4. I've, I have some Child's Play interviews that are going up later today. I did a little piece that went up last night. So go over there and check it out. So thank you, Debbie, for pointing that out. Yeah, well, you know. I, but I always want to make sure. It, yeah, but I want to make sure it's about you guys. That's, that's no, really what's, it's what's about the movies. It's, it's what about it's the about. Movies. Okay. okay. That's what it's about. That's why we're all here. That's true. Very true. So um, for those who are not aware of the show, if this is your first episode tuning in, what we do is we vote in our Facebook group of the movie pick of the week, which will be revealed last. Uh, and at first, we're going to talk about some of the other films opening, not all of them, because sometimes we have not gotten a chance to see them. But... The first one we're going to talk about is Anna, a film that both me and Michael have not seen, but Debbie did. Yeah, part of my, what, 1,200 films that I'm seeing this year. Uh, Anna, Anna, Luke Besson, writer-director. I'm a huge fan of Besson. He is an acquired taste, though, and I think that you both would agree on yes. that. Um, most people probably know him best for The Fifth Element. Or La Femme Nikita, which was 1990, I think. And then in between, he's done Ar the Arthur and the Invisible series, Lucy, which came out yes. to... It was acclaimed, but mm, not, so so much, well. not so much at the box office. Nope. Um, but the critical acclaim was far superior to, uh, to the box office. But he is back here now with Anna. And I, have to, I didn't know what to expect. 
the the main reasons I wanted to see the film, besides it being Basan, was the fact that Luke Evans is in it and Helen Mirren. I was not disappointed. The film, it's basically a spy thriller, a double spy thriller, with KGB, CIA, Luke Evans is a KGB agent, Killian Murphy plays CIA agent Lenny. Okay, I'm sorry, Luke, but you really needed to pick a different name than Lenny <laughs> as the first name of a CIA agent. It doesn't really bode confidence in the CIA. We have a president that takes care of diminishing that as it is. We don't need <laughs> we don't need the movies to do it. Um, and then we've got Sasha Luss in the title role as Anna. She's a former model. Uh, this is her second feature, her last being Valerian, which was also by Luke Besson. She's eye candy. She plays... Eye candy? She has a lot of eye candy yep. in the yeah. film. She's a former prostitute who's rescued by the KGB. It gets very intricate for about the first third of the film as they're trying bouncing back and forth in time, trying to set up the timeline of how is she this world-renowned high-fashion model when she was a beat-up, drugged-out prostitute before and she was rescued by Luke Evans in the KGB. Um, but once they stop with the Michigas, then it really, it plays out, and it has a lot of the hallmarks. I could so easily see Anna teaming up with John Wick. Um, the action is superlative. Cinematography, Terry Arbogast, who, he shoots a ton of stuff with Bassan. Uh, he also did Catwoman, but we won't go there. <laughs> Um, but I think two of the biggest pluses besides Helen Mirren's performance as Luke Evans' boss, Olga, and nobody does double entendre and double, double duty like Helen Mirren. Um, but Julian Ray's editing is rapier. It is truly rapier. But because of the fact that we've got the character of Anna being a high fashion model, um, Olivier Barrio gets to really go to town with far out fashion and costuming. But it's got a lot of twists and turns. The third act has a really fun twist, two very fun twists and turns, that, and one of which is extremely funny um, that you really didn't see coming. So I think it's well worth your while, especially when we look at what else is opening this weekend. Right. That's right. True. Um, thank you, Debbie, for that. Uh, obviously, me and Michael cannot chime in on this one, but um, I'm actually going to go out and see this movie this weekend because I'm actually intrigued by it, and I'm one of the few people who actually enjoyed Valerian. I know it's like no, I you know Valerian was enjoyable. I saw Valerian. Yeah, I saw it yeah. multiple times. Yeah, um, I would see it again if I had time. I would see it again. And another sixteen forty nine to spend. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so we want to move on to the next film, which is Child's Play, which of course is a must. We uh, we we must we must. <laughs> it's a reimagining of the Don Mancini series that has become so popular and so ingrained in pop culture. Um, and this is a new take on this franchise. I know it's going to be weird because I'm going to probably have an alternate viewpoint on this movie than you two. Um, that being said, I did not completely hate this movie, like most people seem to 
seem to, even though Rotten Tomatoes would argue differently at this point. I don't hate it. Um, I don't love it. But for me, this plays more like a comedy. Yes. Yeah. This is more, if you're looking for horror comedy, this is your film. Um, it, it truly plays out like a comedy. And then when you start looking at, and I don't know if this is due to Lars Kleberg as a first-time director. I don't know if this is due to his inexperience or lack of funding for the film. But there is gratuitous bloodletting, and it doesn't even... Come on, guys. As good as VFX is out there now, as good as films, like even the Carrie remake, the original Carrie, we know what blood on film should look like. Yes. It is not goopy brown. No, no syrupiness. And no syrupy, no goopy brown. This is, you know, we're not Alfred Hitchcock and, <laughs> you know, shooting black and white and we need Hershey syrup or something. No. It, the consistency looks bad. It takes you out of the film. If you love horror films, you're, you have to look at this like a comedy. It is the only way to get through it. And, of course, you have Aubrey Plaza, who's amazing. You know, her deadpan, her deadpan style fits this film perfectly. Um, yes, and, of course, you hear the applause. It's because she's from Delaware, like like our producer is. Woot, uh, woot. <laughs> <laughs> shout out. But, yeah, the cinematography isn't too bad. Uh, Brendan Ugama, um, he's got a strong video gaming background and episodic television, but not piecemeal episodic. So he's developed whole threads of a, of a tonal bandwidth for shows. So there are redeeming things. However... You know, at the end of the day, if they're intending this to be a, a scarier wits jump out of your seat horror film, it's it doesn't it doesn't cut. No. You have anything to say, Michael, on this? Well, I feel like with most horror films, and like you were talking about, it's trying to be a horror comedy. It's better off as a horror comedy. Um, there's usually these themes of um, not so much like trying to learn a lesson, but there's like these deeper themes in horror films. So with this, it's just violent for the sake of being violent and um like we were talking about earlier it's there's these um moments of bullying a lot of bullying and there seems to be no consequences or repercussions to what's happening to these characters and because these a lot of them are so uh unlikable you can't connect with them and you can't sympathize with them and sometimes you can sympathize with like all their deaths like with other horror films but in this case you can't because um, these guys, I don't know if I can... These guys are really just a-holes, honestly. <laughs> a lot of them are just a-holes. And what I liked about this film is the score, the creepy um, use of these childlike um, mm-hmm. instruments because they're so simplistic. And the way that the score is used, it's it's just horrifying because when you were a kid and playing with those, it, it sounds magical, but here, it's just terrifying. And that's kudos to Bear McCreary, yes. the, the <laughs> composer. I mean, and I love his work. However, I, I cannot forgive him for the Chucky friend song because <laughs> it is as annoying as the Baby Shark song. Yes. Baby shark. Don't. Movies coming. Scott, what do you think? I really liked watching Gabriel Bateman. I thought, you know, it's funny when I watched him. And it is, anybody who's wondering, it is Justin's younger brother. You know, the the thing about him is 
it made me feel like, oh, Jacob Tremblay was not available for this movie. No, I, 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 I kind no. of, I don't know. I kind of got that feeling about watching the movie. But the thing that I enjoyed about this film is that I love that it wasn't a direct kind of remake of the original film. Yeah, it wasn't Not, a redux. Yeah, yeah and, and the fact that they knew that they would never live up to that expectation, so they went in a totally different direction. Even with the fact in the beginning that Chucky is not a serial killer initially like he was in the original films. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, would I looked at this film, the way that I looked at this film was I saw this as a satire on our obsession and our accepting of smart technology and yeah. smart media yes. and how parents have just given an iPad. I, I saw Chucky as as an iPad go, mm-hmm. gone wrong where we've seen so many stories in the news over the past decade where, oh, a kid watched this on YouTube. Oh, what is that? The Mamo or whatever that thing was, the creepy um, oh, creature. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like, all this stuff. And that's because parents are not looking after their kids. Right. And I thought, Aubrey Plaza did such a great job of playing that really absentee parent where, you know, oh, the kid didn't really want the doll, which I also appreciate about the movie yeah. because this is a movie that, like, looks at Teenagers or this young young kid who's I think he's probably like what ten years old in the movie, yeah. and they know like okay he's a little too old for this, so they make a mockery of it and they, they almost like chronicle did, and it's kind of like what how would the kids treat technology like this mm-hmm. you know and there's these these bully kids who kind of take the doll and make the doll do weird things, but the thing about Chucky in this movie was that he learned all the bad things from. Everything around him that was going on around him. So Mm -hmm. as he was malfunctioning more and more, he was just picking up the bad habits of everything that the parents did. So for the fact that they're all watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, laughing their their asses off, and, you know, the whole, like... Do it for Tupac, kind of, st- you know, standwood. So it's and like, see, and the thing is, there, that's all other kids that are doing right. this, yeah. and that's what's truly disturbing. Yes, is that all of this violence is coming from kids in that ten to thirteen year old range, and there's no parental repercussion, no, mm-hmm. or supervision, and this doll is running amok, and so I'm really glad that when. You know, when Andy wanted to wanted to call him, you know, Han Solo, and he said no, <laughs> I'm really glad because Han Solo would not tolerate this. No. no. Can, I, um, can I ask you guys a quick question about sure. the movie? Yeah. Um, so how was Mark Hamill's voice performance as Chucky? I was really excited to hear him voice Chucky. I really think he makes it his own. I, I think yeah. he adds this creepy layer to it. Um, it's it's interesting because the doll is an a- animatronic. Yeah. Yes. And I do appreciate that also about the film and, right. and the fact that it's not CGI. Um, he really does a totally different spin on the character yeah. and just the way that the creepily moves and smiles yeah. and like you just oh, yeah, watch you see his face. Yeah. yeah you you see him doing that. and But we actually hear more of his own voice he sings the end title song (laughs) and boy does he make it creepy with just his own voice without any auto tune or any any kind of inflection um so no it's i think he does a really good job 
you know, I'm happy with that. The other thing the film comments upon yeah. that, that may fly under the radar are the Vietnamese sweatshops, labor sweatshops. Oh, yeah. The workplace bullying. The wor- right there. Yeah. Well, not work. The not, whole not bullying general, theme goes from beginning yeah. to end. But you can tell that isn't that is a sweatshop. Because we're taken to Vietnam, and it even gives you the title card, Vietnam, um, Caslin Factory. Mm-hmm. And I've got, to, I've got to say, I've never seen Tim Matheson look smarmier as the, <laughs> owner, as the owner of Caslin. Yeah. Uh, but to start it off there in the sweatshop with the bullying and then with, the, with an employee who gets defiant... Um, but you you see the the tone gets set right there for this bullying, and he's defiant. But all that happens is you know he gets fired. So where where's the? Yeah, yeah. I think I mean the problems that I have with this film. Um, you can tell it's a first time writer um, more than a first yeah. time filmmaker. Tyler Burton Be- Smith. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I just feel like. There's certain ideas that don't get fleshed out enough. Right. They, they they open on that scene, and you would like to see a little bit more backstory to that. They don't. We don't. We never get it because that is such a hot topic button. Right. And you would think that they should address it, but then they also talk about you know certain things that happen in society and the way you know the parenting is. But in the end, it almost feels like they forgive everything. Just because it comes to such a clean close. Yeah, and of course, let's not forget the fact that we also have mom dating someone else that the kid doesn't like, and that someone else is abusive. Right. Right. And she doesn't want to believe her own child. And we've seen this play out before in real life, in film, and with the climate, the political climate, the socio-political climate, the way it is. I think there needs to be some kind of shift there. Sooner or later, somebody's got to believe their kid. Right, and I think that was a big problem for me because Aubrey Plaza's character just completely ignored her son throughout this entire yeah. movie. It's, it's bad enough that they're living almost in poverty. She has to beg to get the toy for the birthday because she doesn't even have enough money to get the gift. And then while this guy is in the house completely belittling her son... And he's coming to her all the time telling her about that. She just keeps being passive. And I think it's a, you know, someone told me that this movie has a very positive spin for women. I I argue that. No. No. I argue the opposite. I think it's a very negative spin on women. You know, and, you know, as you're talking about that, what strikes me is the only person coming to the defense of Andy Mm -hmm. is Chucky. Wait, the kid's name is Andy? Yes. Yes. It was the name in the original, though. That's not... That's, that's, that's nothing new. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I know. A fascinating parallel. Yeah. yeah, but the only the only one coming to his defense it's is Chucky. Chucky. Right now, I will say that the two friends, um, what uh, Pug and Fallon. Yeah. Yes. She is a very strong. She's a very strong female character, but by the same... So they shoot the horn net in. It's like, yeah. I literally wrote in my note, I'm like, oh my God, of course it had to be this way. Yeah, it had to be. They had to get it in there somewhere, but I would have loved to have seen her character expanded more, to have more influence over the situation and what was happening. Uh, so uh, there's some good, there's some bad, but a lot of it amounts to somebody should have passed this through... About six more script revisions. Yes, yes. Before they started shooting, 
and then you needed to take a, a better look at what your at your visual tonal bandwidth and your and the VFX and things like that because you get you go into mayhem and there's no continuity. Uh, no, then, you're right. Even I, within the apartment, first we see the apartment they just moved in. There's boxes. There's a baseball bat. There's all of this. Then three scenes later, there are no boxes. But then three more scenes later, and all the boxes are in the same place they were at the beginning. <laughs> And that's just sloppy filmmaking. Yeah, and I think this movie suffered not only from first-time writing, first-time directing, but also a budget problem. You know, this is something yes. where I felt like I appreciated that they wanted to do animatronics and that they wanted to try to do a lot of, like, you know, visual effects that were not CGI, but the problem is they just didn't have the resources available to yeah. them, and they obviously had a very limited shoot date. Yeah. For this movie, because like you said, I mean, some of that is just so obvious. Like It's just sloppy film. It is really mm-hmm. sloppy. And, you know, you would think that Orion would have caught this while they were doing test screenings or going through various edits. You can cut some of that stuff down, but it just got overlooked. Um, you know, that being said, I think there's a there. this is a good kind of like first edition. You know, I think this is a yeah. it's a good first step. It tries. And, and I mean, think yeah. it tries. And I think if they focus the story a little bit more in the second one and build upon, you know, the things that really worked in the first one, and, it, and, it, could, it and, could become a franchise. And don't bring back the ugly oh, no. bears. They create no. Chucky Bears. That that's just because they want to that that was a great mockery of this merchandise thing well, that we it is, do with but things. The, yeah. But the way they Especially did the, the coloring on... Oh, yeah. The irises and the lenses, right? Uh, well, no, the, the fur on the bear. Oh, okay. You've got blotches. Um, yeah. Like, it, the bear has the skin disease. <laughs> you know, where... because And, you know, it's it's... You know, people use makeup to cover it up, and you know when their skin tone is very uneven like that yeah. from birth, and that's how they made the bears look. But they made them look so creepy. They did, and you know that was actually the one thing that, no matter how much I can forgive about this movie, was the fact that the Chucky look. Like, who would buy that? Like, just looking at it, who would like, buy that doll? It, it looked like a doll that had a ton of plastic surgery. Like, it just... That didn't work. It didn't, yeah. didn't work. It's like a Frankenstein, <laughs> yeah. basically. It's yeah. like they went to the discount place in Beverly Hills instead of the good place. I mean, <laughs> that was the strangest thing while I was watching this entire movie. It's like, why does he have bags under his eyes? Like, why does he look like it's a botched plastic surgery? I, I, that is something I could not escape, especially since... By the time the movie comes to a close, there's this whole talk about the next edition. And yet the dolls still look the same. It's like, wait, wait, wait. How come they don't look but better? Now, but now they have blonde hair and different skin tones. Right. And they're going to get different costumes, too. That's yes. right. Leprechaun. I love that. Yeah. I thought that was a good So, yeah. So, okay. So, we're going to go back and we're going to do throwbacks to Joe Dante and all kinds of stuff. It's like, come on, guys. Come on. A little more originality unless you want to make this... A pure parody. Yes. If you want to make it a pure parody, this is the way to go. Yeah. I definitely I, I agree with you. I think the film suffers from being a little bit of a, not a little bit of a mess, but a mess and having an identity crisis. You know, there are some great elements to this movie. Yeah. yeah. They just, 
it just needed better people behind the scenes. That's it. it. Just doesn't gel. So basically. I, I see we're, we're getting we're getting information from Ryan. Yes, let's so, move on. Let's we move are let's do on. it. I, yeah, All we right. Need so we're going on to Toy Story Four, which is the movie pick of the week. And uh, I mean, this movie had a ton of votes this week. <laughs> no surprise. No. Pixar once again. Stealing the show away from every other animation studio on the planet. Um, I want to start with Michael on this because Michael and I got to have a little bit of experience with Pixar where we got to go there for two days and, you know, see the inside magic. Yes. Uh, talk a little bit about that experience. And then before we get into the actual review, your initial thoughts on the film prior to seeing it. Um. Prior to seeing this, I was wondering why did we need to really go back and visit this world, especially after three was. And this is probably what everybody thinks. Why did th- we need to go back after three ended on such a high note? And I was worried. And even after like all the trailers were released, I still wasn't like sure. Like I wasn't confident that this was going to be a great film. And then after um, we went to our visit, we saw the first twenty minutes, and I'm like, this looks beautiful and we're getting to see more of Bo because Bo was absent in the third and then she wasn't so much of a relevant character in the first two and you get to see her in action and um, you get to see her being an actual leadership role in in her um, Molly's room it's like because Molly's room and there's Andy's room so and it's obvious that these two toys um, the two room uh, toys from each room um, coordinate these things and they know what to do they have Plant their um, Woody and Bo are people of action, basically, and they know what to do in during certain situations where they need to be saved. And when we reached that point when they had to be separated, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is actually going to live up to you know what we um, what they're going to give us." And once going on to um, after after we had that screening. We saw all the all the inside inside works of Pixar Studios, and you just can't help but feel inspired to see how many artists, writers, um, cinematographers, lighters, and um, camera people, because they use visual cameras in this. Um, how hard they work and the effort they put into it to make sure that every film that they give us is like they live up to their standards, basically. So that's yeah. Well. I was anxious to see it after after three ended. I wanted to see where they would take the story. Because, number one, when you know when you have a franchise that's successful, you know they're going to keep it going as long as they can. They're not going to cap it at a three. Come on. They, okay. still, have, they still have, you know, Lethal Weapon and Die Hard going. <laughs> so, come on. And Rambo. Yes. So, yes. Uh, so, I knew it would be something spectacular. Um, and with Andrew Stanton... Work in the screenplay, and then you've got the story, and you've got Rash- Rash- uh, Rashida Jones and Will McCormick kicking in some ideas again, and the two of them are brilliant. And then you've got Josh Cooley directing, and also working on story. I just knew it was going to be amazing. And in a word, this film is perfection. Yes. Yeah, I. I it's fascinating to me because. Um, I very much felt like Michael did, as well as I think majority of the world, when it came to the conclusion of Toy Story 3. 
Did I know that they were going to make another one right away? Of course I did, because is this is Pixar's bread and butter. It's the, it's their baby, and it's a money maker not only from a box office standpoint, but because of everything that's on this table. <laughs> it's a merchandise a machine. It's a merchandise machine. Now. Get the forking. <laughs> You know, the the thing about Toy Story, and I remember seeing the first film back in theaters in 95, being the first ever computer animated movie, yep. and just being so blown away by this film, not, so, not just because of the animation being completely fresh and new, but seeing an animated film that has the great stories that I felt like were very powerful in like the 80s. This is like a very 80s essence story, like mm-hmm. where it's like very character driven. It's a very adventure driven. It's all about, you know, do we like these characters? Let's build on these characters. Let's put them in an adventure. That's really the formula of Toy Story. Yeah, and what I love is, as you talk about the original, yeah. you know, one of those original writers was none other than Joss Whedon. Right. Yes. So. I know. Uh, for me, that's that's all I needed to hear in 1995. <laughs> Joss Whedon, Buffy, okay, I'm in. Yes. And I mean, that. I mean, over the years, he's kind of fallen in and out of fandom i feel like mm. um but yes i agree it's it's like he he knew what he was doing and, and it just it was a game changer on so many yeah. different levels and um this is a rare franchise that i feel like i don't know how to rank these movies people people always say like which one of the toy story movies do you like the most and to me like debbie pointed out this this franchise is perfection. It yes. really is. It every film just gets yeah. better and better. But it the reason it gets better and better is because it builds upon what was originally created. Yeah. So I want to say that if I had to pick one, it would have to be the first film because this wouldn't be happening mm. if it wasn't for the first one. But going into this fourth one, I felt like he did. Even when we were up at the Pixar, I was probably one of the only people who, even after seeing the footage, was I was still leery about the film. Okay. I, I, I just, like, I watched it, and the first 18 minutes that they showed us, I felt was great. And then they were showing those clips out of sequence, and I was kind of like, I don't know if this is going to work. It uh, seems like, you know, all yeah. this stuff. And, and it just because it was out of context, mm-hmm. which I think did yeah. the film a great disservice, even though I know they were just trying to build up articles and hype and stuff like that. But that being said, when I finally saw this movie, I, I just fell in love with this franchise mm-hmm. all yeah. over again. Well, you know, one of the big things that spoke to me watching this film is Bob Hawley's production design. Yeah, because it's a lot of credit. We have the, we yeah. have the toys. They go. They venture out into the world, and they land at a carnival. The attention to detail oh my God. is outstanding. <laughs> every light bulb on the Ferris wheel, every little light bulb along, uh, you know, in the games, in the shooting galleries, the pegs, the holes for the pegs in pegboards where, where prizes hang. And then you get underneath the rides and the gears, the the use of color and the intricacy of design. You feel like you are at a carnival. And ironically, as I was driving up here today, they're having a huge. They've got uh, Venice Boulevard at La Cienega shut down for the annual like Fourth of July, you know, pre week carnival they have. And there's a huge Ferris wheel that uh, 
I'm seeing as I'm driving <laughs> on Venice. Um, and I just and it made me think of Toy Story Four because. And that is one of the things that really stands out because they have a lot of night scenes in here mm-hmm. that are just stunning. And with that design, which also goes to the lighting design with the multicolored twinkles, and but then we go inside this antique store. Oh yes, and it, 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 it's, it's like a whole other world, honestly. It's and... one more miraculous thing after another. And the whole design, and the way it's designed, which is what really struck me, is everything, be it the carnival outside, be it inside this antique shop, it is designed for doll size and for people size. Yes. And it takes advantage of low, regular people height, and high. And so they make use of the entire vertical spectrum. And that comes into great play once you introduce the new character, Keanu Reeves, Duke Kaboom. <laughs> the uh, you know we when we were up at Pixar, you know, and this is something that I I really have to you know tip my head to uh, Disney for is that you know they they talk they took us through like various classes. I felt like I was in a college class mm-hmm. where they were telling us, oh, this is how we came up with Bo Peep, or this is how we. Did a you know created the antique store and I think those two and I, I remember those and I'm pointing those out because I thought those two were the best you know the Forky one I didn't think was all that you know that was spe- more of like play yeah that was more like playtime more more creative mm-hmm. this was like more of a learning experience and I mean they were just showing us how the dust on the floor how they captured that and like just how it would be seen as you pointed out from an adult standpoint or a child what were you going to say i was going it needed to be the right amount of dust because then it it would be too overwhelming for the scene and it would be oversaturated with dust and they say okay you got to lighten the mood i'm not uh, lighten the dust so the mood is right and you um the audiences feel you know the right tone basically yeah, and it's just it's it's amazing as Debbie was pointing out is just this attention and detail of various perspectives that are mm-hmm. shown within the film, and we're not even even talking about the characters yet. We're just talking about <laughs> the right. attention and detail, yeah. and this is all what Pixar does so incredibly mm-hmm. well. Not to mention the countless Easter eggs and nods to all the other yep. Pixar yes. movies that are in there. Um, you know, I asked that question at the at the panel. Like, you know, how many uh, references to other Pixar? And the guy couldn't even answer me. He's like, there's so many of them What's in there. Question? Yeah. So, you know, make sure if you're Pixar nut, go back and watch this multiple times. But, you know, I want to jump over to the characters real quick. Because oh. oh we have to talk about this. And one of the things that I, I really want to applaud the writers for mm-hmm. this is Bo Peep. We, we live in a time, as, as we've talked a lot on this show, or we've heard in the media over the past four or five years now with Time's Up and everything like that, these strong female characters. It's been, it's been this, 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 this staple that we've been hearing that, that mm-hmm. phrase over and over and over again. And this movie is so incredibly confident in its writing that Bo doesn't need that to be said about right. her. She just she is what she is, and she flows with the rest mm-hmm. of the characters. So every one of them, she can play alongside Woody or Buzz or wh- whoever it is. 
and it doesn't have to draw attention. Like, oh my god, look at that! Right. It's so well executed in mm-hmm. the writing, and it believes yeah. in the characters and the story that it doesn't well, need to be that. Like there's that. a truth. Yeah. There is yes. a truth to the characters, and they have the writers over the years have in 25 years have never deviated <laughs> from that truth, and that's so important. Uh, because as we just talked about with Chucky in Child's Play, it's like night and day. Yes. But this is, you know, the characters are true to themselves and to the yes. world in which they inhabit. Not necessarily our world. And that's where the adventure and the fun comes as they try to expand the truth of their own world to include new adventures in our world. And it has grown and grown and grown. And I'm, I'm going out on a limb. Right, I'm saying I want to see a Toy Story 5. This is set up so beautifully. Yes. We can go in so many directions. Yes, we can. Two primary ones. And I, you know, the one I'm really, really interested in seeing. Um, so I, I hope, uh, and I'm pretty, pretty confident... The, to say that Pixar will embark on one of those two forks in the road, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. Um, Michael, you have any uh, other remarks about this? Well, I got to say, like, you were talking about authenticity to these characters. Um, what's amazing is that they, they're they not... Um, how do I put it? They're just... They're, they're really... Like you said, true to themselves, and they there's no um, this everything's genuine basically. It's not forced in, not um, shoehorned, and you can see that. And I especially like giggles because she's so honest with herself. She knows her size and everything, but she's still like gung ho on the mission and everything like that. And she's the the voice of reason. So this is just one example, and. Um, I like that. That's what I really like about her because she's such a bundle of energy, despite her pocket size, like stature. And um, yeah, that's this is what I like about her. I, so I don't much. really want to spoil it, but what I think the formula of the first three films and the relationships created within those films, they were really the the arc of the story. Mm-hmm. And here, that all gets broken up. Mm-hmm. And uh, without going into de- detail, characters get separated. They don't share the screen as much as we're used to. And in a lot of people's mind, I think there's a concern that that won't work. And I think that was part of the, the criticism. And it does. Yeah. Because it works. It works. It works. It's not so much works. of an ensemble now. It's right. like more character-driven. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's more focused on... Two essential characters, basically, I want to say. Yeah, and then and, the uh, roles get changed, yes. right? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a character in the movie whose role is changed. Very much so. Ideas and, get changed, too. Yeah. They lived on this idea for so long, for three films, you know, you've been ingrained with this one idea, and that gets changed after one experience, basically. So, you know, we, we do talk about award season here because we, we do our own award show, and, of course... You know, it's still early for Oscars, but I know I, no. I've said I've said this. Ah. This is the the best animated film of the year, hands down. There's yes. not gonna yes. Frozen. I I I, 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 don't, I don't have to see Frozen to know that this is going to t- 
to top it. I, I already know that, and it's going to be the winner. But, um, Debbie, you, you posted something very interesting online. You said that this is potentially going to be a film that's going to finally break out and actually be nominated for, for more for, areas. For Best Picture. For Best Picture. For Best Picture, as well as possibly picking up some of the other uh, some of the other categories. One one of the one of the big things that I always miss uh, with the Academy Awards is cinematography. Everybody knows I am uh, my bailiwick is below the line. It's directors on down. Um, that's my my background, my training, my experience, and I live for that. And with animation, so often people don't think about the lighting design. They don't think about the production design. And with a film like this. You really have to do it. Uh, we saw this a few years ago with the advancement of the technology and the and where RenderMan became the proprietary RIS for Pixar with Finding Dory that then opened up a whole new world of animation with refraction and reflection. And that then allowed for other things to filter into, other Dis- into the Disney pipelines of Moana, the use of water there, into the little short piper. And the water there, the technology, it just, you know, and when used with the the cinematic basics of lighting, of lensing, of framing, of your focal length. And I really think that this could be a, a, this could be the film that could, that should cross over into live action categories, but I really think it has the potential to cross over as an actual best picture nominee, not just best animated feature. I actually have this graphic up, you guys, of uh, the 95 Toy Story and just the advancement in yeah. technology yes. right yeah. there is absolutely remarkable. Um, I had a quick question for you guys. You might, just if you have this insider information, the late, great Don Rickles was Potato Head. Did they happen to include him in any way in this movie? They did. They, they did. did. Yeah, a few as, lines As respectfully there. as they could, actually. Yeah. That's well, what because I it did... They re- didn't they record his lines before he passed? Yes. Yes. And they so, used some um, ar- uh, archive. Archive. Things. Archive. Yeah, so, yeah, they used archive stuff. You know, they always do this very tastefully, just like Star Wars, you know, for our princess, you know. Right. Right. So. So we have to jump. We got to jump off Toy Story 4 and we have to kind of move a little quickly. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this down into favorite and least favorite for Pixar. Okay. Um, and we're gonna let's just for argument's sake, let's exclude Toy Story. From yes. This. Oh well, yeah. Let's exclude Toy Sorry, Story. No problem. Okay. So Debbie, let's start with you. Favorite and least favorite. Oh my God. Well, I'm gonna make you guys guess. Okay. Because I have several favorites. One of which ah, is, and can you guess the film? Good dinosaur. Good dinosaur. Yes. <laughs> Another of which. Coco. Coco. One of my all-time favorites. Finding Dory. And Finding Dory or Finding Nemo? This is Hank. Hank this didn't show up until Dory. Dory. Oh, my God. Uh, see, I, uh, I disagree with you on that one. You don't like Dory? Not the second one, no. Oh. I like the technology of it and what it allowed to have happen. That's what really sells it for me. And, of course, then. Okay. Inside, Inside out. out. Bing bong. Yep. 
But, you know, there's also... Let, we, let's give a round of applause to Debbie with her props <laughs> over here. Like, seriously. <laughs> Debbie obsessed with... She knows how to bring the visual aids. I obsessed with visual aids. But, you know, we also can't overlook the Pixar shorts because there's a, a short that, that opens every... And I got to tell you, the two over the 25 years that stand out for me, my all-time favorite Pixar short, La Luna. Um, Enrico uh, Casarosa directed it. Michael Giacchino did did the music. And every time I watch this short, I am just mouth-dropped, eyes agog. It is breathtaking. It is glorious. And I never get tired of seeing it. And for my money... It is the most exquisite short to come out of Pixar. Second, following that up, would be Lava. Okay. Okay. How about your least favorite? A Bug's Life. Interesting. Ooh. All right, Life. Michael, move over to you. All right, so my favorite, since Inside Out was already said... Um, oh, you can have you that. Can still have that. I'll, I'll have Inside Out, too. Would you, like, would you like to hold Bing Bong? No, because that's... Not my character, even though he's a great character. Who's your character? My character, well, it's my, more my spirit animal, is dis- Disgust. Um, yeah, because she's just so expressive and, you know, unapologetic about whatever she, she says. Uh, no filter whatsoever. For, even for a kid, she has no filter. Um, but my favorite, my other favorite is Up. Um, not just because of the action adventures, and also, I've got this. It's Up! Adventures out there. Um oh. But it was like one of the first times I actually got to see like myself in a character like Russell because like oh my gosh that looks like me and um, I I never really got to see that in any of the previous Pixar films, um, so when I saw that I I instantly connected with the film and a so. favorite Pixar short I think I know what it I, might be oh my gosh there's so many um, I. Uh, Pixar short. Can, you have to get back to me on that one, actually, because I can't. <gasps> I'm surprised. Least favorite. Least favorite? Uh, it's Monsters University. It feels just like a rehash. Even though it was, it's funny, um, I didn't need to know about their origins of their friendship, and the fact that they were like rivals and they're forced to work together seems kind of lazy to me, but other than that, I mm-hmm. yeah. Um, my favorite outside of Toy Story, because Toy Story is by far my favorite, um, is Wally. I, I love can, it. I, I grew up. Yeah. I grew really, up yeah. with uh, yeah. Short Circuit, of course, and I love that movie. And to kind of see like another robot film with with a love story, and I love the fact that there is so little dialogue in this movie, mm-hmm. and it makes such a great stance on the future of our society and our world. <laughs> I really well, love that yeah. aspect about it. And my least favorite, as much as this is surprising to say, I am going to say outside of the Toy Story um, sequels that I felt have honestly raised the bar, I feel like every sequel that that um, Pixar has, has done has not lived, you know, set the bar. Mm-hmm. I feel like... Incredibles 2, I thought, was very overrated. Uh, I know a lot of people loved it. Well, Uh, Incredibles 2, there again, what makes that movie for me is the production design. Yes. The mid-century production design. I know, but when you have the first film, and I mean, here's the thing how I feel about a lot of movies nowadays, and you brought this up with Child's Play, is that we live in a world where every movie should be, at this point, beautiful to look at. So I start... 
throwing that by the wayside mm-hmm. because I feel okay. like every Disney movie that comes out, oh my god, it's gorgeous. Look at these costumes, it's gorgeous. Look at the cinematography, it's gorgeous. So with Pixar, what, what always sells me is the story and the characters. And Monsters University is like a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, where I just felt like, oh my god, this is Revenge of the Nerds, like just told with monsters. And yeah. it's just so yeah. bland and boring and, and unnecessary. And I'm sorry about Finding Dory. Like, I actually remember seeing Finding Dory in theaters, and I actually, I think I gave the movie a really positive review. And then I went back because, you know, of course I have nieces and nephews, and I rewatched it, and it does not hold up. Mm-hmm. It really does not because it just feels like the same gag over and over again, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have the classic, you know, feel of finding, you know, Nemo. finding Nemo. Yeah, it just doesn't. And um, same thing with Incredibles. Again, you, you you shoehorn in that that strong female character with the mom. You know, it's such a big thing, and everyone was talking about Jack Jack. If you take Jack Jack out of that movie, oh, I, I feel like it. the movie yeah, is just I, not I good. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's just not a good movie. So that's what I have to say. And surprisingly, the other sequel that I would actually give some credit to was Cars Three. Wow. I thought Cars Three was a lot better than Cars 1 and 2. And I think a big part of Cars 3, in addition to story and character, is the fact that you, you bring Nathan Fillion voicing one of the cars. Yes. And Nathan has the ability, he can really transform a character with his voice. And I think that's really what helped that film immensely. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Was Nathan's voicing. Yeah. I remember my short now. It's Bow. I knew I, it. I, oh, I knew it. Was I, knew it. I, I just it. remembered that it's like, oh my gosh. We knew it. Presto for me. Presto. That's going back. Yeah. That, that's a deep I, cut right there. Yeah, yeah. I really love that one. Wow. Um, so in the comment box below, um, why don't you guys let us know, you guys and gals, let us know uh, what's your favorite and least favorite Pixar movies. You can include shorts. That would be great. Um, be sure to like and share this video. Um, we do this show, and, of course, we want more and more people to watch and enjoy. Yeah. Um, so, Debbie, where can we find you? Uh, you can find, every Monday, you can find me live on AdrenalineRadio.com at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time with Behind the Lens. And we've got Greg Kinnear coming up in two weeks. Um, every week, it's different directors, filmmakers. We go behind the lens and below the line. You can also find my movie reviews and interviews on BehindTheLensOnline.net. On Twitter, I'm Movie Shark D and BTL Radio Show on Facebook. Behind uh, BTL Radio Show and Debbie Lynn Elias on Instagram. <laughs> I forget what I am on there. And then a lot of my red carpet interviews and a lot of the BTL shows are also on YouTube, Elias Entertainment, Behind the Lens. Michael? Uh, Michael, uh, you can find my stuff at I am Michael J. Lee, uh, all my social media stuff. But if you want to find my writings, especially with an interview with Ali Mackey, uh, Maki, uh, you can find it at That's It LA and GeeksOfDoom.com. Awesome. And you can find me, of course, at Twitter and Instagram, the other Scott M. And then We Live Entertainment, where there's going to be a bunch of articles that are already up uh, for these two movies that we actually discussed today. So uh, check it out. And thank you so much for tuning in. And next week we'll be back with reviews of Yesterday and Annabelle Comes Home. So tune in next week. Thank you. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. From the
executive producers Maria Menounos. Can you use the press here in or those of the whole show? No.